Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, Oscar, David Oscar, joined by Stephen, Stephen Jones. <laughs> do you want to do that again? You messed up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? You said Stephen, Stephen Jones. You say the surname. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Right, we'll use that take. <laughs> That's on me. Yeah. <laughs> right. With your host, Oscar, David Oscar. Joined by. Right, go again, go again. <laughs> this is a man. This is a great start. Mate, are you okay? <laughs> no, literally not. Literally. Right, I'm just going to say join by. Right. And join by. Stephen. No! <laughs> The name's Bond, James Bond. That is the line. <laughs> so yours would be Jones, Stephen Jones. <laughs> okay, right. Joined by Jones, Stephen Jones, Griffiths, Alad Griffiths, Glenn, Niall Glenn, done. So totally done. Yes, welcome to our long-planned episode talking all about the James Bond franchise. It's been a big year for James Bond. Uh, We've had the official 25th film come out. Uh, It's the end of an era for Daniel Craig, and we got the 60th anniversary in 2022. So we've planned this episode for a long time. We wanted it to come out when No Time was originally scheduled to come out. So this episode has been uh, delayed just as many times as that film has been delayed. Uh, But we thought we've had quite a few big episodes and events on recently. So we thought we'd give this episode the time it deserves. And now we can sort of talk about it after the film has come out, after it's had a lot of success uh, and still talk generally about, you know, what is so brilliant about this franchise. So first of all, Craig, how mad is it that it's been nearly two years since we planned this episode? What I find hilarious is that as much as I love the guest that we have on today, you can't deny that this is not what the original cast of this of this particular episode looked like. I swear that the cast of this particular episode has gone through more changes than probably the entirety of any Bond casting throughout time ever. Because we've had probably, what, six James Bond actors over the years? I, I swear we've had like a, a different variety of like 20 people on for this episode. I, I'm just finally glad to talk just just do this talk about it let's just get on with it yeah and you know i I, i'm i'm glad we've definitely got some bond experts oh yeah definitely and as you know you might have been able to tell in that intro like maybe not so much for craig but like i said we've assembled some experts on bond uh because we felt that you know they were the best people to talk about this franchise so uh let's get into it then first of all we do have uh one of the original guests which we've been talking to about this episode two for two years now uh it is filmmaker alid griffiths who uh introduced himself earlier hello alid hey how are you we're doing good so um obviously this is a james bond themed episode so we have to ask what is your drink of choice and would you have it shaken or stirred 
Oh boy. I mean, like, how do you make an espresso martini? I don't know. Do you shake it? Do you stir it? I'm not sure. Mm. We should have got a, a bartender on to, uh, <laughs> to tell us that one. It's usually blended, which doesn't help. No. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, so, uh, Ale, tell us, uh, what have you been up to uh, recently? I've just finished working on a on a HBO TV show. So I actually have like a little bit of time off for the first time in what feels like two years. So I'm having a great time, as you can tell, in my um, my dressing gown currently. Your, your comfies, your comfies. <laughs> oh man, big comfies, yeah. Yeah, so, well, yeah, that's uh, it's a good theme as well of today. We've got a lot of uh, people who are in production right now, etc. Especially because we are like, you know, people are back in work and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, Speaking about somebody who's in production, <laughs> I'll go now to uh, Niall. Niall, what is your drink of choice? Would you have it shaken or stirred or blended? <laughs> well, uh, this year, actually, I think it was just a day before I went to see No Time to Die. I actually tried a James Bond martini in a local bar. Uh, very dry. I quite liked it. But I did learn that you should almost never shake for those because it just breaks down the ice too much and just waters it down and you just lose the flavour. So that's a, that actually made me sound smart for a second, sorry. <laughs> so that would be my choice. So what we're saying is James Bond is actually a bit of a wimp watering down his drinks all the time. <laughs> it makes sense how he can keep working with the amount he drinks, I suppose. He needs it. The drink's quite like you, I suppose, now. Maybe a sense of humour, like, you know, dry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> so what have you been up to now? I know uh, maybe you can't tell us everything, but you've uh, been a busy bee. Yeah, just swamped in NDAs. For, um, there's a Netflix project, some BBC stuff, and Disney, who I'm most scared of all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can't really talk about it, I'm afraid. But I'm, I'm so busy that I've pretty much had to cancel being on this. I'm so happy to be ill. I can actually do things at home for a change. Oh, yeah, we should clarify that uh, I'm I'm coming to this recording in isolation. So, you know, we've, <laughs> we're all, I, I definitely uh, feel you there now. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, an interesting time. Uh, please, if you have a cold, you know, be sensible. I think there was something that was out today, which is saying like one in four people who thought they had a cold actually have COVID. So, uh, yeah, if you can, tell your employers, be safe. Remember, and, uh, kids, it's no time to die. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And um, so people who are busy in production in Cardiff uh, will now go to Manchester. Where Steve, does this mean you're working on Coronation Street, considering we have all these people involved in television shows and uh, films? <laughs> it doesn't, but weirdly, the production set of Coronation Street is just a couple hundred meters away from me. So Yeah. You, you you got the inside scoop there, so you can see down into the street. You can see what's happening. I can get the uh, inside scoop and see what Gail Platt's got planned for a, uh, for a week. <laughs> but yeah, in uh, all seriousness, Steve, so uh, what uh, drink of choice would you go for? And uh, would it be shaken, stirred, blended, watered down? <laughs> so for me, it's shaken because my favourite cocktail in the world is called a Clover Club. And it's uh, shaken with ice, egg, lemon, gin, raspberry, anything you can put in it really yeah, it's beautiful. So that would be my, uh, it's just got to be shaken every time. I, I don't even know many steered drinks. Mm, true. Yeah, you usually have the people behind the bar, don't you, with the metal cups and everything. You always hear them preparing them in that way. So yeah, it is strange to think of a stirred one. But uh, And uh, like everyone else then, what have you been up to? Uh, I should clarify, you don't work for Coronation Street. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I don't work for Coronation Street. Um, but I recently moved to Manchester from London. 
uh, with my company, um, doing some sustainability blogging and copywriting and just, yeah, just really getting into the Manchester lifestyle. Everyone's very friendly up here. Really like it this way. There's so many much things to do here. The Peak District's not too far away. So if you're going on some walks up there and just exploring nature and um, definitely not doing anything with Gail Plath. Get again, Aston Martin, take a drive up to Scotland at some point. That'll, that'll be a good trip. <laughs> Our topic today, uh, as I previously mentioned, is James Bond. We wanted to use this time to sort of celebrate the franchise as a whole because we had the release of No Time to Die. And as we often talk about like the history of movies and some of the most famous films of all time, then we wanted to use this chance to sort of look back on the series. And uh, we kind of settled on three main films, which we thought kind of encapsulated the different eras of Bond and which are quite interesting for when they've been rebooted or the people who starred in them or even just the time in which they were made. So we've got Dr. No, Goldeneye and Casino Royale will be our main films that we are talking about today. But obviously now because this episode is coming out after No Time to Die, it means that we can sort of celebrate that success as well and the impact and talk a bit more details about that film, celebrating the fact that it was, you know, the 25th film in the series. It was the last film for Daniel Craig. Uh, It's coming out just before the 60th anniversary next year. And it's also become one of the most successful films of the pandemic like globally you know it is pretty much the most successful uh, film that we've had in the last two years for an american slash british you know english speaking film i think everyone saw came around and you could really get an idea of like how much importance this series has in terms of the coverage it was having and how much conversation was happening around james bond all the people go into the cinema saying it was the first time they've been to the cinema in two years so it's a great time to sort of be celebrating that franchise uh, for those reasons as well so uh we'll sort of touch on our feelings now of no time to die because you know it'd be hard to talk about all of this series but not talk about the most recent film uh, we won't talk spoilers at this stage yet uh, but just so briefly, guys, I just want to know what your thoughts were on it. So, you know, obviously, if this episode had happened when it was originally meant to, like two years ago or a year and a half ago, uh, it would possibly we would have recorded before it came out. So we wouldn't have had this opportunity. Uh, but I'll go to Alid first. You know, what 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 did you think of No Time to Die? Did it sort of meet your expectations? I know every time it was delayed, I saw you on Twitter and the socials like, no. So, yeah, did it did it satisfy you in the end? Was it worth the wait? I think so. I think I think overall, yeah, I think it did kind of uh, meet my expectations. I mean, it was a long movie. I think it was what the, the longest Bond movie ever, uh, which is kind of interesting. So I, I definitely think there could have been quite a lot cut out of it to to shorten it a little bit. But I think no, overall, I think it was a strong end to what's been, you know, arguably a bit of a a balanced Craig era in terms of the movies that he has made. Um, I think for me, like, I think it, it, it probably sits somewhere in the middle for me, which I guess in, in a way could be looked at perhaps being a little bit underwhelming. But I think overall, no, I think it did a lot of good. I think um, I'm so interested to see kind of where this franchise goes next, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto in a bit. But I think overall, yeah, no, I was happy with it for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I did like it. Uh, Steve, what, what was your thoughts on on the latest entry in the James Bond franchise. Have you been a fan of the Daniel Craig one so far? Yeah, so I've been a fan of Daniel Craig one so far, but I think this one, it really did um, hone in on what he's done over the years and made that role his own almost. I think as much as it was very long, and I agree with Alan's point that a lot could have been cut from it, 
it almost felt like they were stringing out some sequences. Um, but I do think that it was the right way to sort of do it. Just even the, the stuff they matched, like the, the music or where they were setting it and how it was sort of reflected in the storyline that they were, they were going for. So I think on the, in the grand scheme of things, I think um, it does live, it lived up to the hype and it was um, a very good watch and worth the wait. And Niall, what did you think? Yeah, I'll echo what the guys have said already. I really enjoyed it. Um, my main caveat is uh, I think all my f- big flaws with it are things kind of carried over from Spectre, which is probably in my bottom tier of all Bond films, honestly. I think uh, kind of adhering to strict continuity hurt it a little bit. I think you could have cut a lot of the elements carried over from Spectre and had a cleaner film, like the guys were saying. But that would have to be done in script writing, not the edit. But overall, even though I didn't like Spectre, I do like how they use certain things from it and built on it rather than do the, the terrible franchise thing of just ignoring what happened before if people didn't like it. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I loved all the nods to um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is a, another favourite. So yeah, worth the wait. And nice to just see a movie with like a lot of practical stunts which I'm always so partial to, and that's a big reason why this franchise has remained a favourite for so long. And also great for car fans as well. I think, isn't it, like five eras or generations of like Aston Martins show up in this as well? So that's great. Maybe not so much if you're a Land Rover fan, because there's a lot of Land Rovers that get uh, totaled in this film, but maybe they might also be happy for the representation. But um, yeah, now I think of it, actually, a lot of villains own Land Rovers, which, you know, Maybe, maybe that's correct. I don't know. <laughs> to, to true life. Yeah, I think that what Niall said was quite correct as well in terms of like the paying homage to the past kind of aspect to it as well is that, you know, that film did recognize a lot of the classic elements and sort of storylines or themes and that kind of stuff. So, you know, a big reason that we, you know, got you guys here today and are talking about this franchise is because obviously it's made such a big impact. And as I said before, that the coverage on No Time to Die was like, in some ways, nothing like I've ever seen before. Obviously, you've had things like Star Wars and Avengers and that kind of stuff. And this might be because obviously it's a British institution. But like when I was listening to like BBC Radio a lot, they were really like going home on terms of like, you know, support James Bond, go watch it. We're going to have a dedicated show about it. All the themes or, you know, like interviewing people who go and see it, getting messages from people, interviewing people. Um, and then once it did come out, it was all this kind of like, it was almost like an event, uh, which we haven't seen for quite a long time. And obviously that's reflected now uh, in in the box office. So, you know, I'll go back to you, I guess, Niall. What for you is so special about Bond and, and why personally are you such a big fan? Uh, I think what's special about it, uh, a few years ago, someone pointed this out because I've got certain friends like me who are like big Bond fans. So as we just get together and, you know, shoot the shit about it. Uh, and someone pointed out that the James Bond franchise has now, like, existed for, like, half the time cinema has as an art form, which is pretty incredible that it's still going. And what's funniest is it's a series that's so, like, tied into the Cold War, because that's when Doctor No first came out, that it's a miracle that it managed to last outside of that, you know? And I think that's something that people do enjoy about it is how it kind of adapts to the time. I think that's a really... We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the films we're going to discuss. But each of those, I think, marks a very distinct t- 
time for that series in, in terms of how it relates to the world and what was going on. Yeah, it's so ingrained into pop culture, it's almost hard to hard to look at it in kind of like a personal way, weirdly. But I think for me anyway, the reason I love it so much is I associate it with uh, Sunday TV viewing because these films would just always be on around midday on a Sunday. And I'd be at my nan's house and that's where I discovered them. And so they just have a very comforting feeling to me because they're so, except for the ones I was just talking about, they're so serialized that you can stick on any Bond film and instantly just get into it, you know? You don't really have to work things out or when does this take place? Is there a TV show between this, you know? Like um, the, the current struggle I have with Marvel is I don't know what's going on, really. I'm always having to reconfigure, like, is this before Endgame, after Endgame? What's going on? Yeah, James Bond, I always know what I'm getting. And yet, with No Time to Die, it proved it can still surprise me. And yeah, funny you mentioned that as well, because I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, I've mentioned before about those films, which are like typical Sunday movies. Um, but to me, I was thinking like, oh, this is more like a Saturday movie, maybe because, you know, it's often ITV uh, will put it on on like a Saturday afternoon before all the evening show in start. But uh, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if it's like quite a comfort Sunday watch, but more of a Saturday before you go out kind of watch. So, yeah, interesting to get the, the two perspectives there. Uh, Alid, we've had you on talking before about like films that are personal uh, to yourself as a filmmaker. We talked about like Stanley Kubrick and stuff, but we, we didn't really cover Bond. So uh, what what's your connection to it? Why are you such a big fan and, and similar to Niall? Why do you think they has such a big impact on pop culture? Oh man, well, I think like, I think my first ever memory of just like, just movies and cinema and film in general was was Bond. Like um, my my mum and my aunts um, live like four or five houses away, and like one of my first memories is like running over to my aunt's house, and she's had she used to have like a stack of like uh, VHS tapes that were kind of like bootlegged, like she'd kind of taped herself, and she'd somehow managed to kind of accumulate the entirety of the Bond franchise up to that point, which I think was I think Goldeneye probably was like the most current movie at the time, and I must have spent like a summer or or, or whatever it was just kind of ferrying back and forth from house to house of sort of watching all these movies. And just to kind of echo what Niall said, you could just, you could totally drop into any film and it would completely make sense. It didn't really matter. It wasn't, it wasn't like your MCUs today where you kind of need to know where in the order it was. And yeah, I was just, just so obsessed with just like this, this guy who was just so suave and so cool. And he always won, which is interesting to think about it now as a, as an adult that I used to idolize this at the time you could argue he was a bit of a womanizer, a bit sexist, um, you know, an alcoholic with a pretty, pretty substantial, I'd say, like mental health problems. This is a man I used to idolize, which is interesting. But no, man, these films, they're just they're so engraved in in, in our culture. Um, and it's almost just this massive event thing every time a Bond movie, even when it's announced, like when they announced the, the title of the film, it's such a massive deal when it's announced who's singing the theme. It's such a huge thing. And you, the, 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 there's just no other franchise you can really compare these different elements to. And the fact that it's been able to sustain itself that way throughout its entire history is, is incredible. And it's hard not to get excited when a new Bond movie's announced. And the fact that it's sort of Daniel Craig's, it's like at the end of his era and there's this going to be this brand new chapter coming in and it's probably going to be the, the newest and freshest thing that we've had yet. Like it could go in any direction, really, and that's just that's so exciting, um, especially as someone kind of really starting in the industry and and potentially it might even be a part of this one day. Um, yeah, it's so exciting. 
I love the idea that you said the ant was like bootleg in films. Like I think everyone did that back in like, you know, the nineties, but you didn't quite think of it in that way. So if like somebody recorded something from Disney plus or something, you would be like pirating it and sharing it, but somehow recording something off the television isn't the same thing. So I'm just imagining these days if somebody was like, oh yeah, I've downloaded this illegal copy of the film. What the hell? There's adverts for PG tips in the middle of it. <laughs> Imagine that that'll just be crazy. So I always enjoyed that element of when you look back at your old VH- VHSs, you'd be like, oh, I always have to watch the ad. Well, I suppose you could fast forward through them, but you would always experience the adverts that came with that recording like time and time again as well, which is funny. Interestingly as well, I think when you look at its impact and everything like that. And this is why I'd be interested in Craig's opinion on uh, as somebody who wasn't as kind of influenced by Bond in the same way you guys were, but also just if I think of any franchise that has had any sort of like, I suppose, love in some ways, but like parody, it is the James Bond franchise. When you look at like how many parodies, not just like, you know, film parodies, TV shows, sketches, radio shows, all types of parody, uh, you know, the Austin Powers franchise, Johnny English, Kingsman, which, are, you know, the three of those are huge franchises on themselves, which are make their, you know, benefit from parody Bond. Craig disagrees. Yeah, Kingsman I, it is not a parody. It's a, it's a pastiche. It's not it's, it's not parodying the elements, right? Because it still do, does them in a very serious way. It's just very self-aware about what they are. Parody in like in like Johnny English and Austin Powers, very much just exaggerating them to the point of humor. Yeah, I agree with you there. Kingsman is not the same. No, no, like definitely. But in terms of like having three franchises that wouldn't exist without Bond and us all very much playing up the the typical tropes, um, I think those are three ones that stand out to me. But then again, like I said, you look at things like American Dad and so many TV shows the same way that they might go like, oh, we need to do a musical episode. There's so many that seem to do like, oh, we need to do like a Bond parody episode and that kind of stuff so why do you think craig you know as a comedy fan it's so open to to spoofing and to parody i i just think because obviously everyone's talked about the fact that these films are very much non-serialized right the fact that you can basically go into any of these elements i'm not saying they're formulaic but there are certain structures that definitely a lot of these films basically follow, right? Say you had a Bond film that didn't either didn't have any any of the cars, didn't have any of the gadgets, didn't have any of the girls, didn't have any of the outlandish sort of supervillain plot. That is something that I think a lot of people would just instantly sort of go against and just say, that isn't Bond. And I think because a lot of those films rely a lot on the, that, that, those combination of ideas... Um, I think that's where a lot of parody can basically just go, okay, so these films always have these elements. What if we just take this one particular element and just do this particular idea with it? So with with Austin Powers, it's very it, it's very much uh what if uh what if with the super uh the supervillain we just make him an outright idiot who is ignoring the best actual plans in favor of really, really even dumber plans right because you literally have a guy there basically going i created starbucks and that's getting us millions is that not good no what we need to do is build a tractor beam to the moon and just threaten the world government like that or with austin powers you have just the idea of this guy is meant to be suave but he's just an absolute bumbling idiot and everything that just uncovering all of these plots is just 
because all of the elements still work still work together it's just you take one and just flip it and just see how everything else around it works i mean it's one of my favorite franchises the austin powers franchise just because <laughs> um when it comes to a parody sense that probably does it the best way i think the austin power franchise just it takes everything from the bond world brings it into it to its own weird and wacky and wonderful sort of creation and um you can laugh about it whereas i guess when you're watching a bond it's not meant to be comical it's just meant to sort of glide past and you're meant to sort of just watch the action and appreciate it so i do i do like watching the parody sometimes because it takes the seriousness out of it and you can just sort of see it from a different angle and appreciate it in a different way and just um just yeah just see what other people's interpretations of um, james bond are and it's nice to see that world sort of step over to a comedy side or step over into which any other way people want to take it i think um the band scout for girls they even made a song about james bond and that got quite famous so you know again there's so many different worlds and avenues the james bond franchise can creep into and um, there's so many parodies you can make just to add on to that is what I love about Austin Powers and I agree with a lot of what Craig was saying about how easy it is to parody is I think the great thing about it being so easy to parody is it actually has forced the series to adapt and change in response to a lot of these things like if you look at the Austin Powers films when they're coming out around the same time it's like die another day it's like why how can these two things be on such a similar wavelength you know die another day feels like such an odd relic and I think maybe without Austin Powers, that would still be the kind of vibe we'd be getting from James Bond. This very strange kind of dated camp, as opposed to like how they reimagined it with Casino Royale. So I kind of like that there's always a, a conversation between the real world and these movies. Right, so we'll go into the specific films we've chosen now as kind of symbols of this franchise, uh, which covers the different eras of Bond. So, of course, we have to start with the very first film, uh, which came out all the way back in 1962, which is Dr. No. Uh, It, of course, stars the very famous Sean Connery as James Bond. Uh, You also got Ursula Andress as Honey Ryder, and you got Bernard Lee as M, and Joseph Wiseman as Dr. No. So, yeah, this is a resourceful British government agent seeks answers in a case involving the disappearance of a colleague and the disruption of the American space program. Uh, It's directed by Terence Young, written by Richard Maibom, Joanna Hayward and Berkeley Mather. So, as I said, all the way back in 1962, this came out. This is the one that started it all, obviously uh, an adaptation of the famous books from uh, Ian Fleming. Uh, so, Aled, what is your thoughts on the very first Bond, Doctor No? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched it for a while. I think I think it was the first film I put on when the first lockdown happened. Because I was like, you know what? Now is the time to binge this franchise. And I got as far as that film. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's 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 a it's a good one. I enjoyed it. Um, if I'm gonna, if I'm being, I thought it was what uh, No Times that I was gonna do. I thought it was, it was gonna really hone a lot. I thought it was gonna hone in a lot on kind of the elements that were good, that were in that were in Doctor No. Um, but I think it did a, a good job in kind of setting up a lot of the sort of cliches that we were talking about before. Um, you know, especially the theme that it really likes to kind of play. I think it's like towards the end of the film, I was like, I'd be kind of good with never hearing this theme again. 
it really does like kind of playing it but yeah it's 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 i have i just haven't seen it in a long time if i'm being honest um and uh yeah then <laughs> my thoughts yeah i i guess again that probably is a lot of people's because there's you know there's so many films from that era and then a lot of films even from like i guess like the roger moore era and stuff in which like similar sequences happen or they got a similar look in which people are like which one is that again you know whereas i guess the modern films have had the benefit of being like very distinct with each one uh niall obviously i guess this is more up your street because it has sean connery in it what what's your thoughts uh, yeah, like Alid, actually, uh, I chose the lockdown to rewatch this. So it was not that long ago now because I, I like to dip into Bond films. When I was younger, I always thought this one was kind of boring. But rewatching it, I was like, oh, no, it, it just has less action. But a lot of the, the non-action scenes are very good. Like the writing is like that's what's great about it in some ways. is just how off the bat it gets so many things right that the rest of the films have always been continuing, you know, like whoever came up with, you know, the gun barrel opening and just having the stylized credits, like the theme song, they do play it too much, but the series has coasted on that James Bond theme, you know, it is so good. And just um, the most important thing about it for me is uh, Ken Adam, the production designer who designs all these supervillain layers, like the look of these things, just so great. And it's something maybe we've, not had so much of uh, from like the Dalton era where they were going more serious but I've liked that the last few Bond films have leaned a bit more into that as well like No Time to Die has a we won't go too into it but the crazy location of like the final the final act of that film yeah and it's just also fun to look back on this one of the things that weren't in it yet that we take for granted like Q and like a, a popular theme song and stuff like that like it's not it's definitely not one of my favorites it is good but i think what's great about the the following films on from it like from Russia with love and goldfinger is how it really polishes it up and makes it just a really excellently like pleasing popcorn cinema i think what's surprising as well like for me i had never saw like so sat down and watched this in its entirety similar like you know i'd catch caught bits of it on television etc but i couldn't say like oh here's what happens like start to finish and yeah, while I watched it, I was like, oh, wow, I'm surprised how much of the all the traditional elements are like exactly here. And they sort of pull it off quite effectively because sometimes when you revisit like a franchise and go to like its first one, you're like, oh, that's where it came from. Oh, that doesn't sound like what it quite does now. Or they, they didn't, you know, it's like the whole like Luke, I am your father. Like, you know, people have like misquoted things and stuff like that ever since. You know, the the classic lines have stayed the same, you know, the the drink and the... Uh, the theme and all of that kind of stuff has, has always stayed there and they kind of almost like went into the film as if they had already had three films before them or something I felt like watching it maybe because it was you know a book series etc because I was kind of going into it expecting like oh is this going to be one of those 60s films like I think of like the Pink Panther franchise in which like that film is like very much like more of like a slow burn very different to the rest of like the Pink Panther films and like at that time you'd have like a lot more like talking scenes and just kind of like tense thriller type moments but i was like no this you know quite you know is a very uh sort of action heavy plot very like you know speeds along like to each uh, individual sequence etc so yeah I, I was just so shocked by by that element to it and like i said so i can understand why it doesn't sort of stand out as much but i was still surprised how much it like held up in a way uh, yeah and just um i should have mentioned it there as well just as like you know introducing the world to one of 
maybe like definitely in the top five like most famous film characters of all time how perfect is that scene introducing him like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth the sexy banter with a lady on a curd table it's just like how did they do it how did they get it so right it just drives me crazy the maths that must have gone into that or was it an accident you know just perfect that's what makes me laugh about all three of the films we're talking about as well is they all feature like car tables and playing you know like poker etc and i'm just like oh yeah that's the overall theme of the ones we've chosen is they're playing cards at some point <laughs> steve what's uh what's your experiences with dr no yeah so i remember watching it for the first time i think when i was 13 14 because um going on niall's point for some reason it's always on daytime television or there'll always be um that type of bond film on and i just remember sort of again I didn't appreciate it enough until I watched it when I was older um, because it didn't have as much action. And when you're that age, you just want to see, you know, Bond being Bond, really. You don't really appreciate the talking scenes and and the actual motives and the, how they get into, um, how they shape his character, really. And, and I think it's a very good starting point and it, you do see it progress as it goes along with films like Goldfinger and stuff like that. And it really does um, sort of advance. But um, yeah, going on the um, production and the actual look of it, it always stays with you. Like um, that villain's lair will always stay with me. I don't know about anybody else, but it's always sort of in my mind. Like whenever we talk about Dr. No, and it's a similar case with any really Bond film, they always get the design such on point, so on point. Yeah. And I guess even in terms of like the elaborateness as well, which is, you know, something I had to kind of like commend I, d- I don't know i suppose at the time there was a lot of goofy stuff out as well you know you had things like flash gordon and things like that but even just from like the villain side for them to you know i don't know if this was the actor or the director or ever but they were just like oh you need to be like really like sort of like sort of stale and kind of like really serious and like have no emotion and the way they played that I was like you know i kind of really respected that that they went with that from the get-go kind of thing of this guy who's just like there is no north and east and west and you know like it was a very like bold creative choice which sometimes films would be like okay we need a few films to be able to do this but no they just went straight in there so i could kind of and obviously there you can kind of see the influences that have carried on throughout many of the villains over the years as well that the intro was so perfect you didn't have like obviously they watching like goldeneye they love to be like oh we're bringing back this aston martin and everything the db5 always shows up you know this film didn't have that but it did have like things like the tropical location the bond girl um i'm not sure what's like the record one for like how many women he sleeps with but this one i think i was already like okay there's like two in this one and i was like does he sleep with the like honey i wasn't sure but um i did find it funny how she said like at one point oh i've learned everything from the encyclopedia i've got the tea and i was like i kind of wish that they had just like had something in there which was like something after tea which she didn't understand like oh get on the wing of this she's like what is wing what is this <laughs> i really wanted her to like not understand things that come after tea in the world <laughs> yeah actually you bring up a good point because we haven't really spoken about it but obviously like sex is such a big element of this series and it's quite funny to think like when it started in 1961 like surely that must it came out at like the perfect time obviously like the sexual revolution and free love and all that because like a decade before these films would be burned at the stake you know it's amazing to think and that still like these are films now the new ones even like families will go to and they're very you know sex heavy it's quite funny because there's been a lot of debate about like the use of sex in cinema and you know it was like 
a huge i don't know what to call it like non-troversy about like oh the eternals is marvel's first sex scene it's like i've been watching james bond since i've been like six <laughs> you know it's I, I appreciate that they're just up front you know it's a thing that exists in the life of a spy and they've never tried to really like have less of it obviously it's never explicit it's more double on tron than any anything but i do i do appreciate it's a franchise that knows sex exists you know it's weirdly rare nowadays I would love to be somebody around the time that not only this is released, but just the vast majority of the audience isn't as um, ingrained with James Bond as we are now. Because obviously, the I, I don't know how many years the books existed before the films, um, but I can't imagine they would have had as wide-reaching effect. Just watching this sort of film, and not not just the amount of the amount of sort of sex which is implied that he has. But just the build-up of how he has that sex in many of the scenes, especially the end, where, let's face it, the only reason that she is with him is because she's basically been dragged along with him because she turns up on a beach where he he, he is, and then the opponents just start attacking. At that point, she's just dragged along. And then they just stuck in a boat together, and he said, well, there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Come over here. Just, what? <laughs> Mate, what are you doing? I would just love to have seen sort of audiences just be like, would it just be considered that, ah, oh, the guy always gets the girl, or just, well, what, what, uh, yeah, okay. I kind of was just surprised as well that this film started off the trope of being like the kind of vague plan that the villain has, where you're kind of just like, okay, something to do with radioactive materials they oh, kind of want to god you said that i was going to ask you guys this what is the villain's plan <laughs> i don't know if i just missed a scene or something but when i was watching it i i, I was trying to pay attention because i wanted to know exactly what's going to happen i also find it slightly weird that they that up until the first half of the film he's referred to as a chinese guy called dr no and then when we see him it's just you are very not chinese what on earth is going on here what is his plan? Because I, I just didn't catch it. And then there's something about, I see a satellite dish and there's something about a missile countdown. I kind of feel that that is like an experience with a few Bond films, though. It's almost as if like, you know, when they did get to like Tomorrow Never Dies and stuff and they were like, oh, this is getting like too ridiculous now that sometimes they're just like, OK, and let's just keep it kind of vague that they're like, oh, they just want to like cause terror or they just want to like, you know, kill some people or something, you know, but like it's all about like Bond and them. I, I don't know. Do, do you agree? Yeah, that's great, David. But could you also oh, yeah, answer no, just, my question? Uh, what is his plan? Niall, do you know? I think, this is just from memory, I think it's something to do with um, Dr. No on behalf of Spectre has made some device to disrupt a space launch just to show off how powerful Spectre is. I think. Okay, so it's literally just a flex. Okay, I can, I can deal with that. Maybe there's a Cold War thing. Maybe they're just like, oh, we want to like ruin their space program so then the russians can get ahead or something <laughs> but their plans, all, their plans always involve satellites lasers or anything you can build like it's just always this, this the same sort of story but it i mean you can just you can flip it in many ways so like with dr no obviously it was the original but then you go like further on in the series and it just becomes more advanced so it's quite interesting to see it like um grow almost these lasers and these um death satellites <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, you know, and then that's definitely, and it's an element that has been lost with like the Daniel Craig ones of like, you know, the elaborate villain that they have their kind of like their thing, you know, obviously it's something which would be definitely in something like Goldfinger and, you know, is that, you know, like, oh, then they have the cat, you know, with like Blofeld and stuff like that, whereas, you know, they haven't really had that obviously to be realistic, uh, et cetera, whereas I guess like the parodies and then, you know, films like Kingsman and stuff have been able to like sort of use that in a bigger way because they've been the more elaborate ridiculous uh films that they are but yeah it's just it did make me laugh how it, it's very much of that time that it kind of like wraps everything up and it's like oh yeah you know everything's okay now uh, which is very typical of films of that time but it's always that kind of like vague like oh they're just trying to like do something evil and you're like okay we'll just get on board with it <laughs> but um yeah, I feel that uh, everyone's probably pumped though and eager to talk about a lot of people's favorite film in this franchise, which is GoldenEye. So we'll get on to that one now. Uh, this one was released in 1995. It was uh, the first appearance of uh, Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. Uh, we also had uh, Sean Bean in this as Alec Trevelan. Uh, and then we had Famke Janssen also shows up, uh, Isabella Skorupko, and then we also had Judy Dench as M. And we also have Robbie Coltrane who show up in this. Actually, quite a few like stars who like you know came out in this. Alan Cummins. We had Desmond Llewellyn also as as Q as well. Uh, this film was yeah PG thirteen despite uh, <laughs> all the sex that uh, you know I was referring to uh, earlier, and. Uh, yeah, very much came out at that time, like, you know, peak 90s, uh, the storyline of this one. Years after a friend and fellow O agent is killed on a joint mission, a secret space-based weapons program known as GoldenEye is stolen, and James Bond sets out to stop a Russian crime syndicate from using the weapon. So, Steve, this is your favorite Bond film. Why is that? And uh, what what makes you think that GoldenEye is such a great film for the Bond franchise? Yeah, it's uh, 100% my favourite Bond film. And even of the latest ones released, it hasn't done anything for me. It will always be in my heart as my favourite Bond film. And as um, Bronson's debut goes, I think um, that's probably what did it for me. It was, I almost sort of fell in love with the energy of Bond because it was um, it was done so right. And um, you sort of got to see like the the classics of it. And um, the actual storyline is, um, I just really found it quite interesting how, um, how it developed as you watched it and almost how it was like this multi-country thing as well. Like you weren't just in one location for most of the film, which I'm not saying that Bond films do that, but there has been a few that don't really branch out that far. But this one was, you saw different sort of scenes pretty much every time. And uh, also the, just the iconic opening scene for me will always stay in my mind and you know that bungee jump it's not like they don't need any crazy effects with it and uh, they don't even have any music for when it happens it's just you know he's just falling in the sky and going down 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 and that's a scene in the whole sort of bond stratosphere that will probably be my top five favorite and, and it's not even anything special happening i mean it's a dangerous bungee jump it's the way that it's done and how um that sets the film up from that point then and yeah, just some characters in there that really bring it to life. Like you said, 006, um, Sean Bean, who really sort of gets that role and makes you want to jump into the screen and shake him yourself because he plays it so right. The way it develops and um, the way it goes, it's um, definitely one of my favourite Bonds and I'd imagine quite a few other people's as well. 
Yeah, and again, definitely, you know, like I said, it's going to be a very generational thing here for everyone here because as we mentioned before at the top, it's kind of like, you know, it was coming out as we grew up, you know, VHSs and all that kind of stuff. Like the spy thing was quite a big thing in like the 90s, like early noughties. I don't know if you guys remember when it was like, you had things like Jackie Chan in that like tuxedo film. You had Eddie Murphy did that like I Spy. There was at some point in time, they were like spy films and they were like coming out everywhere. And it was all the kind of like, you know, oh, you know, like the crazy gadgets and the lasers. I suppose like at that time, mobile phones and the internet and computers were becoming a big thing. So everyone was like into this kind of like, high tech kind of like elaborate gadget stuff so in some ways i guess this kind of like started that trend and obviously kind of adopted it later on when it got ridiculous itself in like things like die another day so yeah it it definitely like this one definitely is interesting for the looking at like different decades and how they're sort of influenced by that uh alid why why is this you know like similarly why is this uh one of your favorites and, and why do you think do you think it still holds up today I think it does and it doesn't in in different ways. I think the reason that I love it so much and I would just to jump on what what Steven said, it it was the first one that I saw that that really like blew my mind. Jumping back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show, it's when I was going to my aunt's house and there was the stack of VHSs and at this point I'd seen Goldeneye. After seeing that film, it was always the one that I would kind of look at again and be like, oh, should I just watch that one again? It was so good. Oh yeah, go on then. And then of course the, the, the game that came with it was was always was, again is a factor as to why I love it so much. But yeah, it just did it did things so so well. Like Stephen was talking about that first bungee jump, and he's so right. I think you can you can say so much with very little, like the fact that there is no music in it, you know, it says so much in that silence. But I think the the stunt that I still think is the coolest stunt, but also one of the dumbest, is when he's on the bike. And he jumps off the cliff to get into the plane. It's so ridiculous. But it's it, I, like, like seven-year-old me watching that was just like, this is the coolest thing I have and will ever see in my life. Um, but yeah, I think as well, like growing up and watching it and to answer your question on whether I think it still holds up, I think it does just because it's it's one of the most kind of personal. I, I, I think to that point, it was one of the most personal stories so far. Like this guy's partner, you, know, you could argue his best friend, betraying him. And it was one of the first times I ever kind of watched a film and kind of almost sympathized a little bit with the villain. And I'm like, I shouldn't be on this guy's side, but I can kind of see his point. I mean, I mean, he's he's evil on, on all costs and he wants to kind of destroy the world and blah, blah, blah. But there's a little part of me that's like, I kind of get it. Like, it's really fucked over this one. But yeah, the fact that, you know, M was introduced as the first female M. I think it, it did things so cleverly and in, in, I think we touched on it before and kind of almost hinting at the older style. And I definitely feel like that, w- I, th- I think, I feel like GoldenEye is one of the last films that really feels like that kind of vintage Bond film. I think all the films after GoldenEye feel kind of, they all feel different. Whereas GoldenEye still has that kind of vibe and that kind of, that aura of, of like almost golden age James Bond. But I think I think personal reasons for me is like, you know, it was the first movie that really blew my mind as a kid. And it was really the gateway into kind of knowing more about this world and all these different films and stuff. And yeah, the game's awesome too. I was obsessed. It was great. Yeah, no, I think that's a good good element to point out as well is that, you know, it feels like, you know, that you did have that kind of point in filmmaking. And, you know, it's very hard to find these days in which it's just transitioned over, especially with like digital filmmaking. And now that we get sometimes like directors will come out and there's like, 
things are shot in different ways and you're like oh my god this is so refreshing to see and stuff but when things are like shot on film or like with more like traditional methods or different cameras and stuff and it has that kind of like grain and like film feel and you know that's that's rare to find today and so yeah and the the later films kind of like adopted that kind of like high tech you know sleek kind of look with like adding more more cg etc which uh just got you know more 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 ridiculous uh niall do you do you agree with what everyone's uh been saying so far yeah no they're all making great points and just on the video game it's so funny every time i rewatch this movie the video game is like corrupted my memory of the film a bit so i was like Where's the scene where he goes to the Aztec pyramid and stuff like that? That's the game, you know? <laughs> but it's it's such a frail revisiting this one. And yeah, it's just like the stunt work is something else. Like they really, I think, front-loaded it with the stunts. They might have even written the film around them. Like the whole tank chase, I think, is a, one of my favourite sequences. It's just so over the top. It's probably in the top ten, like, international incidents James Bond has caused. Great stuff. And it's such a smooth transition from like Cold Warrior a Bond to this one without ignoring it, you know, without glossing over. It feels like this is a film that's really trying to figure out what is James Bond's place in the world now. Like Judy Dench even references it at some points, like you're a sexist, misogynistic dinosaur <laughs> and all this. And like just so many so much striking imagery comes from that. Like him literally meeting his old friend surrounded by old statues of Lenin and Stalin you know it's a film that's really quite looking forward and they could have almost made this as the final James Bond film if they wanted to like close that arc I'm glad they didn't of course but it's just it's really interesting yeah and things like I think um sorry what's it Robbie Coltrane even references like oh I heard M's even a woman now like that sounds like the sort of snarky thing you'd read from some asshole on Twitter now about every franchise but it's really like refreshing how they were like looking forward. And I really admire that about, I don't think we've mentioned her, but like the series producer, Barbara Broccoli. Like I think that family, like they, they make their missteps of the films as well, you know, but um, they're always looking forward. And I find that really interesting of like, what is Bond going to be? And like her comments since No Time to Die are really refreshing that she seems to have a very clear idea of what James Bond is, but also like, how can it grow yeah, uh, I, that was a very tangential answer to that. It's like, yeah, Goldeneye, good film. You were talking earlier, Niall, about like the kind of like sex appeal and all that. That's probably a big element of Goldeneye. Like when I think of like as well, like Bond, maybe again, that's why I wasn't like as a kid. It was kind of like the stuff you're like, oh, should I be watching this? You know, like, oh my God, there's like a naked body and stuff, you know, and it was very, you know, a lot of people will say about when No Time to Die came out, everyone was like, I'm seeing it with my dad because I saw it with him when I you know I grew up and stuff. So to me as well, it's always been that kind of like dads have loved this franchise because an element of it is the sex appeal. But then I suppose like women equally also like the kind of like, rom- you know, romanticism about it or like imagining themselves in those situations the same way, way that like romantic novels and stuff can. And like, oh, imagine being swept away by this which is again why i suppose they get away with it and in this film money penny does say like oh what you're doing would be considered you know sexual harassment uh and then you know he's like oh what's the repercussions of that and all this kind of stuff so you know they they do very much walk that line and sort of like aware of it from this film onwards do you agree now in terms like this being one of the most uh bold films for that 
just Famke Jansen alone, possibly. I wanted to talk about Famke Jansen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rewatching it earlier, it brought a lot of, um, say, memories from my youth back. <laughs> I think, along with, like, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, it's, like, one of those, like, sexual performances you'll see in a film too early. It'll kind of mess you up maybe a bit later in life. And I think it's such a, like... It's such a clever thing because I think Goldeneye is such a reflective Bond film of what's come before is they literally combine like two of the biggest elements of the series, sex and violence, into a major villain who like is literally getting off and like the thought of a train being derailed. It's like a David Cronenberg film. So I think, yeah, my God. I think that's really well balanced though because I think um, Bond's relationship with Natalia... I actually quite like that Asser little romance, you know? It's very rushed. Like, the moment she decides to, like, kiss him is very random, to be honest. But I think they've got a nice dynamic because she's, like, a real human being with quite a normal job, which is quite refreshing for these films as well. So, yeah, like, just the the sex dynamic in this one I find really interesting. I think I, I logged it on Letterboxd earlier... And I think I might have declared this the horniest James Bond film. And I think I'm going to stand by that unless anyone has any objections. No, I, I definitely... Absolutely do. not. Yeah, I yeah, think, you know... 100%. There's that scene in the sauna that probably stays in everybody's mind, like when, again, she's just getting off on the violence of it and everything else. And I think in every scene, she's just either very, very happy killing someone or very happy just having her own way. So, yeah, it's... I put it as one of the raunchiest James Bonds um, that I've seen. And that sauna scene is so incredible because for like half of it, you are asking like, is Bond kind of like seeing if this goes his way? Because <laughs> it seems he puts his gun down, you know, it's such an interesting like ba- struggle between the two. Like, is, is this sexy or is she going to kill me? You know, that random guy that walks in at the wrong time <laughs> just gets... gets a bucket in the face. Gets a bucket to the face and... <laughs> Okay, why is this the one film of the three that I didn't get a chance to watch? God damn. <laughs> oh, Craig, you're missing out. We'll pause the recording, go and watch it. It's only two hours. <laughs> she also has an incredible death scene. That's mm. like... Oh, it's brilliant. Up there with one of the most brutal ways of a yeah. villain can go. And that was spoiled, so cheers for that. Oh, wait, villain, never mind. Yeah, yeah. I also like as well, I think, was it in the game as well? I'm not sure if it was in one of the other games where they have like other characters, but like her costume, like was always like the kind of like uniform thing so as a kid i was like who's this why are they in this like military uniform that's because uh, nintendo published that game i think xenon the top was way too sexy for oh, the house of mario yeah they had to kind of put her in the most conservative <laughs> outfit they could yeah that makes sense I was also actually thinking in terms of it, like, well, you know, the villain went talking with Sean Bean. It made me laugh at the beginning of this film, watching it now, you know, when he's like, do it for England, James, and all this. And he's talking about, like, you know, being British and everything. And it just made me think this funny, like, recently, the Sean Bean's doing the do it for Yorkshire, like, campaign for <laughs> for uh, Yorkshire tea. I just kind of want somebody to take that and put it over Goldeneye. <laughs> just him there, like, do it for Yorkshire. <laughs> the Tina Turner, um, mm. she did the theme for it. I'm... It was good, but it was just that almost playing to the 90s style too much. And the beat, that I don't know if anybody else is the same, but the actual beat behind it and the sort of the way they've done it, I'm just not a fan. Like, I like Tina Tina's voice, but I don't like the actual 
the beat to the song is weird. I don't really know why I don't like it, but it, I'm just a bit in the middle on it. It kind of stays true to the era, I think, in a way, like that it's not kind of like, whereas like now we're kind of going back to like the big band kind of stuff and like, you know, orchestral and stuff. It, it kind of like goes with that vibe of like 90s thrillers in a way. But um, I'm also like captivated by the visuals because again, obviously the, the dancing women is always like a big element of these films. But this one very much goes heavy in with like flames and the fact that there's that one... Uh, woman at one point always actually like one of the characters where like she just turns her head and like a gun comes out of her mouth <laughs> and it's like elements of that in which they were just like whereas now they'd be like oh yeah we'll have this subtle thing underwater and you can kind of make out what it is and you know you'll fall onto this thing whereas back then they were just like yeah let's just go for it yeah like she turns into a snake and you know that that person like turns into a gun and then a gun comes out of their mouth then fire comes out of their stomach why not you <laughs> know I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Tina Turner theme, I'll say. And um, just something I want to point out, I always find it funny when I, I play it and listen to the lyrics, is it's clear like no one told Tina Turner what the movie was about and she just assumed Goldeneye was going to be a guy like Goldfinger because the whole film's the songs is describing a guy called Goldeneye. <laughs> it's a satellite. I just find that really funny. What about the uh, the score? Because I hear like so many, whenever I talk to people about the film... People generally kind of have the same opinion that it's a great movie, but I, I hear so many kind of like variation on people's opinions of, of the movie's score. I was wondering what people think. I, I like the score too. I find it, it's quite minimalist at times, but it's definitely one of the things that I would say kind of dates the film a bit is it's a very like early 90s score. And I don't mean that in a bad way though. I quite like the vibe it gives it. And I also, a lot of it carries into the video game. So I do have a bias there because I, I think the GoldenEye game, I remember the music a lot more than the film. Um, but I really, I really like the tone it's just given overall. And it doesn't overuse the Bond theme that much. I was surprised over the credits, it just kind of plays this love ballad that I, I didn't remember that at all. I thought it was going to have a bit of the Bond theme in, but it just plays out completely straight, which I was really surprised by. Yeah, because our music in the game almost so matched like the movements, you know, like how we, like the gun would be like bobbing along, and like the fact the music's like do 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 do, like it would like match with that, which I always enjoyed. But yeah, and I I kind of like when they're racing at the beginning as well, like that's very nineties kind of like music. But again, I wasn't like watching it like oh get this out of here. I was kind of like enjoying the nostalgia of that. Those poor bikers when they are racing and they get all thrown over. I mean that. That would not probably wouldn't even pass now. <laughs> but again, for me, I think um, if, if we, I know we mentioned it a couple of times, but we've got to mention one thing about the video game, which I speak to friends who, who they haven't even seen GoldenEye, but they know what GoldenEye is. And it's because of the game. And they, they always get surprised when, um, or I tell them that the Golden Gun's not actually anything to do with the film. And then they always think that it's in the film. And, you know, the Golden Gun you can get in a game. It's like, part of me kind of wants to wish it was in the film because it's such an iconic sort of thing that's spoken about when when referring to Bond. Something I love about the game is, and I only learned this uh, not, not too long ago, I think I heard it on a podcast or something, but the reason they were able to get the game so accurate with, with the maps and the missions and stuff was I think the, the developers had like a day where they got to run on set and they just photographed absolutely everything. And they scanned, even like Boris's shirt in the video game, they scanned like the cloth that Alan Cummings wore on set. Like it's 
I just love the detail they went into in making that. Um, but yeah, I, I, just to kind of go back onto the, the score thing, like I'm such a big fan of it. I think it so encapsulates that kind of like Soviet Russia kind of relations era. Like even like the other day, I was watching a really old episode of Top Gear where they they it was like they drive to the nuclear disaster, <laughs> Chernobyl. Oh, Chernobyl, yeah. But but they used music from the score of Goldeneye to kind of to kind of go along with the tape, and and I just love that it has that kind of everlasting effect on on things like that and yeah i'm just i'm just a big fan i just was curious what you guys thought that's all i think anything that has like a russian vibe like craig will also understand in like our days of like sketch comedy of like it has such a distinct tone isn't it as soon as you hear like you know a choir or something you're like oh god you know this is rush you know russian and they had elements of it in like black widow by which they went further with it like I just love whenever like the the Red Army Choir thing comes into something that kind of like the old Soviet like theme and stuff like that. So like you said, you know, things which have that Russian vibe to it often are like you're like, oh, I know exactly where I am, what's happening, and it kind of works for the for the the situation. I think just one last point I want to say on Goldeneye is because we only really mentioned him, but I think Sean Bean is definitely one of the best Bond villains in this. I think he's just a, a really great character in concept. I think the Craig era is used a little bit, like in Skyfall, a bit of a similar like X double O kind of thing. But here it's just so refreshing to have a villain with kind of a deeper emotional connection to Bond. And I know the kind of friends turn to rivals thing is a bit of a cliche. I think especially in anime, I might be wrong on that. It's not really my world. But um but yeah, that's all I really wanted to say. And it's like a very different role to see Sean Bean in now, as you say. Dave, he's not advertising tea bags. But the question is, does he die? What do you think? He's Sean Bean, right? Yeah, okay, he dies. Good, that's fine. I'm just making sure that reality hasn't completely imploded on itself. Well, you know, an interesting element of this as well, which brings us on to the, the next one, is the Golden Eye was directed by Martin Campbell and kind of like, you know, helped reboot the franchise. It was like the biggest earning uh, film since Moonraker. Um, and then he went on to direct Casino Royale, which was also a kind of like reboot for the franchise and kind of taking it in a different direction. So I, I find it interesting often, like, especially these days, they'll be like, oh, this is this filmmaker's got his prints all over it. This is their style. This is why they're bringing them in. But, you know, he's had a chance here to kind of like do two different styles in a way and, and reboot the franchise twice. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Barbara Broccoli earlier now, because I think it was worth uh, sort of giving respect to her for like everything she's done, especially now we are talking about the Daniel Craig era, because I think that was he was her choice. And also when we're talking about the pandemic and everything, I think at some point because the film kept getting delayed, I think at one point there was like a Netflix deal being talked about and i think the figure being thrown around was something like 300 million or something and barbara broccoli or like the the studio was like no we want like 600 million for uh no time to die this is what we think it's worth and like a lot of people at the time were just like their madness you know what the hell you know pandemic you'd never like earn that at the box office at the moment um you know amazon etc all wanted uh all wanted this film but wouldn't pay up as much as they wanted and you know she has proven herself now she was right about daniel craig she was right about like the kind of like reboot approach they took with it and she was right to value it at that because the film has now exceeded that in terms of the global box office so she's done a fantastic job in terms of handling 
this franchise and like how many big wins they have. I think it's also, even though we're not talking about Skyfall today, the fact that you look at like the top grossing movies of all time, most of them are like Marvel, Harry Potter, Star Wars. But, you know, you do have James Bond in there with Skyfall for being like a billion dollar movie, which was fantastic. But we'll talk now about Casino Royale, which was a kind of reboot for the franchise. Uh, the first film for uh, Daniel Craig, as I mentioned, uh, brought back director Martin Campbell. Uh, we had writers Neil Purvis, Robert Wade and Paul Haggis. And it features Eva Green as Vespa Lind. Uh, you've also got Judy Dench as M, along with Jeffrey Wright as uh, Felix Later. And then you've got Mads Mikkelsen as Le Shreef. So, yeah, this kind of like took the Bond franchise in a new direction, a new Bond. Uh, you mentioned earlier, Steve, you know, people maybe not giving as much love to Pierce Brosnan, maybe now, but I think I remember at the time the headlines of blonde bond and like the country, you know, like just the absolute controversy they caused because I think so many people loved Pierce Brosnan, but then the idea of like casting like a blonde James Bond was like ludicrous. And like now, you know, all these years later, it's crazy to think back on that. Um, so, you know, this film really did have a lot on of weight on shoulders. Uh, you know, the summary of this is that after earning double O status and a license to kill secret agent, James Bond sets out on his first mission as W O seven, Bond must defeat a private banker funding terrorists in a high-stakes game of poker, a Casino Royale Montenegro. Uh, so, yeah, this this one is definitely, this set the tone going forward. And something that I was surprised at revisiting this, because Craig will know, like, the way we kind of approached this in, like, media class years ago at A-level was the similarities between this and Bourne. And, and you see that the director often talks about that, of, like, taking the influence from... Uh, the Bourne franchise and wanting to lead it down a more so serious avenue so I kind of like remembered it in that way but when I revisited it I was like there's not actually that much kind of like copycat elements there maybe just the opening but I still found that this was a very traditional Bond film and was actually still lending a lot from like the classic era um the Pierce Brosnan stuff I think that you know overall it is very much like a classic Bond film whereas for a few years I think because of things like the torture scene and the the tumbling of the Aston and maybe the opening, I kind of remembered it as this more dark, gritty Bond. But actually, when I revisited it, I was like, no, that's not the case at all. This is very much a classic Bond film and a well-told one uh, in that sense, uh, which does put a lot of great story uh, in there as well. Um, Alid, what, what's your feelings on Casino Royale? Do you think, does it kind of encapsulate your feelings for the Craig Gear as a whole. You were talking earlier about how the newest one was like in the middle for you. What a start to to an era, really. I mean, I think a lot of people would argue it was his his best, or at least amongst his best. I mean, I think what I liked most about it is that it kind of just went away it went against the grain completely. And just to kind of go off what you were saying then with them trying to kind of go down more of a born um avenue, I think the reason this film succeeds so well is almost to the the downfall of its predecessors i think when you were having tomorrow never dies and the world is not enough and and um die another day i mean you had these other franchises like just killing it the born franchise your mission impossible these are franchises that were really elevating themselves at the time whilst you know the 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 sprite the spy franchise at the time bond just wasn't able to keep up so i think this kind of hard reset it just worked. I mean, I think Daniel Craig was talking recently about 
his tenure as Bond, sort of talking about his decision in taking it because he was so against it for a long time. And he see, he sort of says that the reason he took it was because there was a line in the script where Vodka Martini, how'd you take it? And he's like, do I look like I give a damn? But in the script, it was, do I look like I give a He was like, wow, we're, we're there. Okay, I'm in. And that's, that's, that's so, you could almost kind of, that, that, that story in itself is almost... You know, that's what this film is about. It has those kind of quintessential moments with the cars, the locations and the villain. Um, but it's so stripped back. Like, it's it's so good and it's so polar opposite. You think of Brosnan as this suave, dark hair, dark eyes, you know, um, cool character, really suave. Whereas Craig is this the complete opposite. He's a brawler. He's shorter. He's bigger. He's stockier. He's more violent. Um, and they really embrace those kind of elements of the character that I think are kind of important in 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 today's kind of society. They kind of almost embrace that he has a drinking problem. They embrace that he is psychologically not well. Um, and it gives that kind of darker, broodier kind of vibe. And yeah, like I'm I'm a huge fan of the film. I think it was it was so good. Yeah, it definitely added a lot of depth to his character, which is one of the strengths going forward. Because obviously, as we mentioned, like No Time to Die was like very much like ending his era, which, you know, we didn't have with Pierce Brosnan because I think he was originally meant to come back, wasn't he, at one point, but it just so fizzled out. Whereas, you know, here we've had an actual like, oh, you know, goodbye, you know, kind of moment and so film, uh, which maybe some of the actors never, never had. And yeah, I think that that change of direction really sort of benefited it and yeah, those comparisons, especially to something like Mission Impossible as well, um, are very, you know, great comparisons to make about like the the changes that this franchise had to make um, and sort of like recognize. And I think as a Bond as well, like you were mentioning, I think even though he is different in a lot of ways, he does still have like some of the con- Connery sort of charm and like the sort of like playfulness and like jokey elements to it. I think a lot of the actors do send always borrow from connery because obviously as the first bond and there's like a lot of elements then because even though again he is blonde etc but he just the way he carries himself and talks and stuff it is bond and that isn't just by coincidence because if you see daniel craig in any other film he's a very versatile actor so i think that that is something that's definitely sort of like aided him and i think what helps here as well is the kind of like we were talking earlier about M, like the kind of like heart that this film has. Like I remember when I first saw it, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about this whole like, you know, ooh, James Bond has fallen in love kind of thing and having this like kind of betrayal element to it. But I really enjoyed it like rewatching in terms of, like what it meant for him and M in terms of, like when she was like, are you okay? And, you know, she says like a lot of these like scars can run deep, etc. And it was almost as if like she was telling the future of the franchise in which they literally still have that as a plot element more than 10 years later um and i like the element you know the part where she says you know he was like how did you know i'd carry on she or you know like you knew i would do it and she was like because i know because it's you you know and i think the fact that that was their first film together but they were almost still acknowledging her relationship with him i think that that that's what made it so so effective and as we were talking with skyfall then made it such a a mother and son relationship because it was just there from the get-go which was fantastic so kudos to the script writers there as well to already kind of recognize that before they'd even seen that chemistry or relationship play out i guess uh steve what's your memories of casino ryle what what do you think of it yeah so i remember similar to you the um the backlash almost when uh, daniel craig got cast for it and it was almost like you you can't be model bond it was like i remember 
quite sort of outlandish claims that you know it, it couldn't be him and I just um remember um watching Casino Royale for the first time and being like right and when it comes to the end of it that is Bond that is the the person or the the guy to take this franchise forward and you sort of knew after watching Casino Royale that it was never going to be a one-off you never thought for one moment that it was just going to be a one-time thing he dips and then goes I think he really did set the character in stone and he made it him himself almost and um just like even scenes in Casino Royale that stay in my head and um again it's um one of those that, that that poker scene you know and the poker scenes in there iconic bond scenes that seem to sort of um really bring out like the whole character when, whenever there's like <laughs> card games women or alcohol involved you just always see the true bond come out and I think um Daniel Craig really sort of made an impression on me in my youth watching Casino Royale for the first time yeah, definitely. It's one of this as well, like Niall was saying earlier about like films like Spectre and stuff. I think the problem with that and like Quantum Solace, which I assume is on most people's like lower tier, is you're kind of like, which one is that again? What happens exactly in that? You always have to kind of have like an image in your head of like, oh, that's that film. And then Casino Royale benefits from having that. Like you can remember the key bits of it. It has a very much its, its own visual element to it. Like, you know, like locations like Venice, etc. make you like remember that. Whereas to me, I just remember Spectre just being kind of like a big, dark snowy film i'm like i can't really remember exactly what happens and quantum of solace just seems like a lot of like being in the desert and stuff whereas this has like specific sequences and all of that kind of stuff uh niall do you agree um i i've got a bit of a, a strange history with casino royale because i now i do like it i do think it's a good film but i i saw it in a cinema when i i must have been 10 and this is a very like plot heavy and kind of intricate movie for a 10 year old because I was a big Bond fan at, at that point and this one like the fact that in like the middle of this film there's this uh, quite long poker game and there's a character there whose job it is to literally explain what's happening in the poker game because card games go right over my head I think is like a, a flaw with the film you know there's a lot of like good stuff between Mads Mikkelsen and Daniel Craig at that table but I can kind of like leave the middle of this film for the most part I think the start is such a barren stormer it is like the start of Goldeneye it's such a mission statement of what what we're doing how we're different this is like really exciting crazy stunts jumping over cranes and um and like the black and white opening is so strange as well like it's such a unique thing you instantly like is this a Bond film I think when I first saw it in the cinema, we thought it was an advert. I mean, it was like Daniel Craig's. So I was like, oh, no, this is the film. Um, yeah, it is a really strong like beginning to the series. And maybe it's a 10-year-old like having a James Bond with like a very strong romantic plot was a bit confusing for me. And I think, to be honest, I appreciate it more in hindsight of how it kind of coloured his character in subsequent films I like more than I like it in Casino Royale itself and um, funnily enough you were saying like uh, Quantum of Solace being on people's low tier I actually I rewatched it because I rewatched all the Craig ones recently and I was surprised because I think there's like a really good film in there kind of muddled in some of the worst action editing you'll ever see like I, I love it the idea of a Bond film literally picking up right after the previous one and actually, like, dealing with Bond's, like, kind of trauma from what happened to him. And I also appreciate that it's under two hours long, which I think it might be the only Bond film that's, like, an hour 40 or something. It's very refreshing. 
So yeah, I, I won't talk about Quantum of Solace too much, but um, I quite I find it almost a shame because Skyfall was a bit of almost like a mini reboot after that because people didn't really like it. I almost wish that the strange experiment they had of having like a, a, a direct continuity rather than like a retroactive continuity that Spectre did. I think that could have been like a really interesting approach to it. And there's a lot of stuff in Quantum that comes into the sequels afterwards as well, in fairness. They didn't ignore it. But yeah, no, Casino Royale is really good. And I, I almost like kind of a testimony to my point about being so plot heavy is um, I introduced my girlfriend to James Bond with it because we had booked tickets for No Time to Die. And I realized, oh, crap, she's not seen any James Bond. Right. We only had time for Casino. And it was like very much a case of she'd have to stop it and be like, OK, so he's got the money from the African warlord and they're going to play it because he lost it because of an airplane blew up. You know, there's a lot of that in it. Whereas a lot of other Bond films, you can kind of fall asleep for a bit and pick it right back up. And just uh, my last point, sorry, I'm on a real like train of consciousness, uh, is although like Die Another Day did come out in, I think, 2002, like I think a big reason that movie also didn't connect with people other than being rubbish is it really didn't connect to the world that we were in. That was like a year after 9-11 and it feels like a, a children's cartoon where Casino Royale is the first like real like post 9-11 terrorism as the norm Bond film. And like, so the first almost hour of this film is him trying to stop a terrorist attack at an airport. And I like that again, it's a mission statement of this is going to be a kind of more realistic take on James Bond. And in fairness, by no time to die, the, the villain's plot is again like completely bananas but I think it kind of earned it by that point it kind of built up to it in quite a nice way and um yeah so Casino Royale I'll do it again good movie yeah yeah I, th- <laughs> I, I think love- everything you guys have said is like you know very true in terms of like I remember seeing it when I first saw it as well now and I was a bit like oh you know what's going on like I kind of just expect this action films a lot of stuff you need to keep up with um and like the poker stuff especially like maybe if you don't know that game and stuff it's maybe harder to follow but um i guess on rewatch i kind of like appreciated it um then for so how much more detail it was given to kind of like that realism and giving you something to to follow um and i think that obviously all the performances are fantastic and even though you get a short time with like either well no i wouldn't say a short time but obviously they the romance kind of very much blossoms from the kind of like the first meet and the kind of like montage that they have at some point but you're still able to get a sense of that, that loss and betrayal, which I thought was quite good because, again, in some ways this film shouldn't work because it crams so much in. The fact that you're like there almost at the end and you're like, oh, what? He's like retiring from, uh, you know, MI, MI6 already at this point and where he's meant, you know, you would think that would be the opening of a film. Like, oh my God, he's retiring and all this kind of stuff. And that happens like near the end of the film. So the man, the, the fact that they managed to pull that off and like have like this entire sequence in which this like building is sinking into the Venice Canal and everything I think is like testament again to like the the pace that this film manages to have so yeah why why I don't think it's without its problems I think they did set the tone quite well for what was going forward because with Quantum of Solace obviously that was one of the most famous films for being affected by the writer's strike so possibly that's why there's a good film muddled in there amongst a lot of mess that entire sequence of the house falling into 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 the uh, Venetian canals vividly sticks out in my mind just because not only is it just intensely gripping, but also just learning about the production history of the fact that that all just happened and just the the amount of work they put into making sure they had a fully 
fully working, collapsing house. It's just incredible to think about in in hindsight. And I just remember I just remember it so vividly and just the amount of drama that it had for all of the reasons that have been said so far. Yeah, and did that sort of paint your view of it, Craig? Because when I was thinking again back to those media studies days of um, the Bourne comparisons, which are films that, you know, me and, like, I know this is controversial, but I very much do not like the Bourne films. I've never liked those films. So that's why, in a way, sometimes, like, revisiting Casino Royale, I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, wait, this is, like, nothing like Bourne, thankfully. Do you think that, like, sort of paints, you know, changes your opinion of it in any ways? I never really bought into the fact that this was a a, a Bourne comparison. Because I, I don't even fully remember in media studies, specifically Casino Royale, being used in that way. I don't know whether that's just me being a bit naive. But no, for me, this is basically just a beautiful origin story. And I think that the reason I'm able to get on board with this film in a way that I don't with pretty much any other Bo- uh, Bond film is that we see the actual creation of all of those uh, all of those elements that go on to other born uh, a Bond films, right? You shouldn't have mentioned Bourne. I keep saying Bourne when I mean Bond. God damn it! But yeah, just the fact that every element that people are just oh, this is is this really a Bond film? Just the fact that they actually bring it in and challenge it, and just at the end, I think I don't know why. Just the very end shot of this film is a shot that I vividly remember from my time in the cinema. Yes, this is the one and only Bond film I've seen in the cinema. Um, so that might have some impact as to why I, I, I like it a bit more. But just the fact that the last thing we generally see of him is basically just killing his target and then actually having just actually having like the traditional like Bond music then play. I was just like, yeah, this is it. This is this is now James Bond. I think that's why like you just see that character created through all uh, through all of this. And yeah, I, I I was able to get on board with this in in quite a big way. Even the middle film, uh, middle of the film, just because I I like I like hustle culture. I like I like depictions of casinos and poker games. So even even as a youngster, I I love this sort of thing. Like right for for several years, my favorite TV show is Hustle. So I was able to just watch the poker scene and actually be invested in it somehow as a kid with my dad. Yeah, those are words I'm pretty sure David won't hear that much on this podcast. Me and my dad in the cinema. An instance I can remember four times, maybe? But yeah, no, um, I never had those connotations of it being with a Bourne film, but then I don't remember a scene in this film where he puts a magazine in the toaster. I think probably what Alid said earlier is probably more a Mission Impossible, kind of like that. That was probably the more, is more apt of like what they want to go for and it kind of like turned into in a way and thankfully for myself anyway but um yeah i think those sequences the standout is, is again and when you know is is what helps it as as a bond film because like i think back to even though there's a lot of complications in terms of like uh le chief with the people he like owes money to and all that kind of stuff i just love that it's a very bond thing in an in a, in a way to have you know bond like interjects and they're fighting with him and this just guy just comes out with a sword and he's just <laughs> like sword fighting with him so you're like there's still like a lot of elaborateness here which you can kind of enjoy which isn't the kind of like ludicrous like oh there's like laser beams and all this kind of stuff but yeah um so we've talked a lot about bond so far we're very um more tight on time because obviously uh, we love these films so much uh, but i'm going to put a tough question uh, to you guys now uh, or tough request which is just if you can 
encapsulate why you think the future of this franchise is in just sort of one one little segment. What do you think it should be, Niall? <laughs> that is a really that's a really tough question. I'm. Um, I went for the person who looked the most lost and confused, and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting the feeling, just based off No Time to Die, because that's like tying up so much and such a longer film. I think that was definitely saying like this is the end of the Craig era, so we're giving it a bit more time and respect, or not respect. So I suppose just more like time and scale. I'll say more respect. So I think the next one is going to be like every first Bond. It's going to be like paired back a bit and I think they're going to try something very different I don't know if that means it will have like it'll do like the full strict continuity or if it will go back to very serialized I'm kind of hoping the latter to be honest and I believe well we live in a time it doesn't matter who they cast now it doesn't matter what race or sex or anything it's everyone's going to be angry on Twitter so (laughs) I'm going to take a holiday that week and just wait for the next Bond film uh, which I'll probably end up really enjoying. Or if not, I even like, you know, I enjoy watching the bad Bond films too. There's a, as Craig said earlier, he didn't want to make it sound like they were formulaic. But I actually do think they are. And I don't think that's a criticism so much. That's just a stance you know, that so, you had to say that I couldn't. Otherwise, I would just look like the dick. No, no. Yeah, no. But I, I think it's true there is a formula. And it is when the one time, like you said, the one time they kind of bucked it a bit was probably Quantum of Solace. I don't know how much of that was intentional, how much of that was right writer's strike, but obviously it didn't connect with people the same way. But I would like it if they looked at that one as like an archetype of where can we experiment? And I think the beauty of how No Time to Die ends is it gives them so much room. So that was not a short answer. Sorry, Dave. No, no, like I said, it still encapsulated it in, in one one sort of segment anyway so uh steve what what's your thoughts uh very much agree with what niall said and i think now is the time for experiments and i think um they've left it so perfect you know with the ending of um, no time to die that they really can create this new era and sort of reflect it in the times that we're living in now and almost um yeah there's gonna be tons of backlash on social media is to be expected but if they do cast say a um female uh james bond if they cast um a, a black james bond or someone from an ethnic background then i think now is the time to sort of do it and i think there's um it's going to be really interesting to see where this sort of franchise goes from here and what what first of all like what movie it's going to be as well like um is it going to be something that just jumps straight back in or are we going to get that more sort of um, drip fed sort of film? So again, I'm looking forward to the future, but I think now is the time for action and they should really, um, should really just, yeah, uh, just run with it and be as creative as possible. Yeah. Personally, I'd love to see like a sort of like new or up and comer like actor as well, rather than be like this person as Bond. I would just like to see it like as somebody like, you know, we don't know. Um, and in terms of like, you know, if we did get a female character, which we would have back, I really loved Anna de Armas in No Time to Die. I thought she was fantastic. I'd love to see more of that character. She was brilliant. And I thought she was a great blend of being like, oh, I'm still like, an, you know, a Bond girl in some element, but also being like a really realistic but capable character. So I'd love to see uh, her return. Uh, closing thoughts, Alid, it's all on you. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, you all made such great uh, points that I I would I would totally agree with. And I mean, just to pick back up what you just said, I mean, Anna de Armas, 
everybody I've talked to about the last film said how great she was and how she was barely in it, mm. but she was so good. And I think like, is anybody even calling for a female Bond? Do you know what I mean? I think I just cast the best actor for the job. I think that's why so many people wanted Idris Elba. It's because the guy just screams cool. It's not because he's a black actor or anything like that. The most exciting thing about what's coming next is that it could quite literally be, it could be anything, you know? And I think, I, I think it was Stephen that said, I mean, whatever they do next, just be different. Don't do like another Daniel Craig. Don't do another what we've already seen. That's just boring and that's safe. But but do something that's that's different and give it to somebody that has a story to tell. Give it to somebody that has something to say. Um, and I think as long as it's something a bit different and a bit fresh and kind of represents the world that we live in today. I mean, I think all people want is to be represented, right? I mean, I think the fact that you had that quite small scene in the last one where where they kind of infiltrate Q's apartment whilst he's cooking because he's waiting for a date to come. And it's not so explicitly that it's a guy that's coming over and it's not so in your face, but it's there. And that's enough sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, personally, I'm not massively bothered what they do next, as long as it's different than, than I would be happy. I thought it was quite a big challenge maybe to only put one of these in there, but actually from our conversation, I'm assuming the, the kind of idea that Dr. No is not the best of the Connery series and wasn't kind of like, oh, this is the definitive start of the series. The fact that Casino Royale is not maybe everyone's favorite of the series. I'm assuming we're all going towards Goldeneye if there was to be one that had to go in there. Yep, I'm nodding on that one. I, I, I can't fight this. <laughs> yeah, I want Famke Jansen to be in the movie vault <laughs> where she can't get out and sexy kill anyone ever again. We wanna we want Goldeneye there's horniest Bond movie <laughs> in the movie vault. Horny for murder. <laughs> Horny for murder. Ali, do you agree? Yeah, the way I look at it is I've always said Goldeneye I don't think is the best Bond movie, but it, I think it will always be my favourite Bond movie. It's it's so good. So yeah, get it in there. So yeah, into the movie vault then goes Goldeneye. Okay, endgame time. So, I think after this discussion, I think we all need a little bit of theme bonding. So, I'm, I'm going to let you guess what this game is going to be about. Of course, it's the one aspect of these films that we've not really touched on at all, apart from the discussion uh, during GoldenEye. But the themes obviously being quite iconic. So, obviously, we have three people here who consider themselves relative experts on James Bond films. So I want to see how many of these themes you can recognize. So what I'll do is I'll play you a short clip of one of the uh, of a couple of the Bond themes, and I want you to private message me on Zoom which Bond film it was the theme for. Okay. Basically, you get a point if you're correct, and we have a special tie break in the event that it is close. Okay, everyone clear on the rules? Yep. Clip number one. Face to faces, secret faces, feel the chill. Okay, so I have two answers in. Waiting on a third. Okay. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to 
go to you one by one and ask you to say out your answers. Uh, I'm particularly intrigued by one of one of the answers. I think David will understand why. Uh, Niall? Uh, that one rang no bells, so I just guessed tomorrow never dies. Okay. Uh, Stephen? I had a flop and meant tomorrow never dies, but put to die another die, to tie another day is what I meant. <laughs> so you, okay, so you combined tomorrow never dies <laughs> and die another day to have to die another die. <laughs> yeah. okay. No time to die another day. <laughs> okay. No time to die and die. Alid, what did you guess? It's a view to a kill. Okay, let's go for the answers. So, is it tomorrow never dies? Is it to die another die? <laughs> that that film, James Bond introduces himself as James James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> is it a view to a kill? Yes, it is a view to a kill. So that's one point to Alid. Uh, Alid, can you tell everyone who actually sings the theme song for that one? Is it is it Duran Duran? Yes, it is. So basically, um, there's another uh, there's another theme which is sung by a heart, and I constantly get the two confused. Uh... Um, exactly. Aha. Uh-huh. So that is one point to Alid. Okay, are we ready for clip number two? Oh, I should mention. Uh, I have all. Aud- I have edited the audio of some of these clips. Uh, sorry, I should have been more more transparent about that. So, waiting on one more answer. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read out Niles, uh, because I think this is an interesting ruling question that I'm going to leave to David. Uh, Niall is answered, and I quote, Skyfall, <laughs> no spectre, lol. <laughs> so which answer are we accepting? Spectre, I think. <laughs> okay, we are going to accept Spectre. Okay, um, Alid? Yeah, Spectre. Steven? Oh, a Moonraker, I didn't recognise it. Cool. Is it Spectre? Yep, it's Spectre. It is Sam Smith, uh, pitch turned up, played at double speed. Writing's on the wall, I believe this name, didn't it? Yep, and very much writing is on the wall for Steven at this point, <laughs> given that he is yet to score. But so far... Alid and Niall gain a point for that round. Okay, clip number three. One of the more unconventional choices for a Bond theme, in my opinion. Remember, I want which Bond Bond film is it? Are we allowed to have it played again, or is it a one play? I'm happy to play it again if everyone requests it. Yes, please. There'd definitely be a lot like weird dancing in the women's silhouettes. They're like, <laughs> yeah. What I what I love is that basically there was a point in that audience. Uh, that everyone gave me the exact same look, which was a look of confused disgust. <laughs> it was literally that sort of look of just, what the hell is this and what the hell are you putting me through? Okay, two answers in. Okay, so, Alid? It just sounds like a view to a kill again. Okay. Uh, Stephen? 
I mean, I'm just going golden eye because I can hear a female in that. Niall? I guess the world is not enough because I know it was by garbage. And I, they, okay. I remember it being different. So is it a view to a kill? Is it golden eye? Is it the world is not enough? David, do you have any idea what it is? No, I, I don't know. I, is it like, is it die, die another day or something? No, nope. I feel at this point, if you don't know it, you don't know it. Is it to die another die? Is this no. the point where I'm right? <laughs> so this might help. You know how earlier I said that I get confused between the song by Duran Duran and Aha? Mm. <laughs> Aha with the living daylights. Um. Yeah. Like I said, you were going to know it. Or Okay, are we ready for clip number four? Yep. Clip number four. And before anyone asks, no, that isn't just a clip of David singing. <laughs> Could we get that one again? <laughs> are you? Yep, sure. I will say there are clips coming up, which if you ask me to repeat, I, I'm genuinely worried about you. Okay, so Niall, I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, what do you think this is? Uh, Goldfinger, slow it down. You think it's Goldfinger? Uh, what did you answer in the last round? The world is not enough. Uh, Stephen? The world is not enough. Alid? The world is not enough. It's the oh. world is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to it very carefully, you can... You can just tell that it, it is the chorus of The World Is Not Enough. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, cursed fate. Okay, are we ready for clip number five? Yeah. What did you do to that? <laughs> I didn't say I did anything to all of them. That is unaltered. What I did is just shows a very specific part of the song. One more time. Yep. Yep. Ah, oh, shit. It's hard, isn't it? David, do you know what this one is? No, I'm trying to think. It does seem... Seems like early era, but... Can't sort of put my name on to one. Okay, so we've got all the answers in. Uh, 
Stephen? Uh, diamonds are forever. Alid? Yeah, I said the same thing. Niall? Uh, for your eyes only. Well, you are all... You are right to think that it's Shirley Bassey because it's Moonraker. Uh... Ah, yeah, I didn't want to make this. I wanted to make this one fun, not easy. Anyway, are we ready for number six? Good, good. Yes. Here we go. Two answers in. I have it one more time. Yep. My favorite thing about backwards tracks is just some of the words that end up coming. Like in that one, it just ends with need a born. It sounds a bit like that itchy and scratchy show replacement that they have to have on the <laughs> simpsons when like crusty's like what the hell was that worker and parasite <laughs> <laughs> okay uh steven and goldfinger and alid and niall have gone for the same answer do you want to tell us what it is the spy who loved me yeah it's the spy who loved me because it's nobody does it better but playing yeah. backwards so good yeah so good such a good song okay are we ready for track number seven? Yes. Cool. Track number seven. Here we go. Cyberpunk Ah, uh, once more. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I go too far with this game. <laughs> oh, obviously, for listeners, they'll know that I have a tendency to do this. Uh, because I did this to let it go. Okay, uh, two answers in. Uh, this is annoying. <laughs> I don't know. Can I have one, one more? Is that, is that cheating? <laughs> I don't think it's cheating. I just think it's self-torture <laughs> at this point. It's like a line in there, and that's why you're just like <laughs> trying to hold on to it. It's. I think it's one of those ones. If you can work out who's singing it, you'll work out the film. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh no, no, it's fine. Oh, I, uh, I think I've got it. Okay. Oh wait. Just wait. Wait for. Wait for Alan to answer. Ah. Okay. Cool. Um. This is gonna. This is going to spark a rant that mm-hmm. David knew was going to happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Stephen. Well, I went for this answer because it scared the living daylight out of me. So the living daylight. Uh, Niall. 
Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, so I just guessed Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> okay, so, so Alex, just say the film, and then we'll address the rest of the comments. Okay. Uh, Thunderball. So, is it Living Daylights? Is it Diamonds Are Forever? Is it Thunderball? Yep. No right. way! That is Tom Jones. I was wow. going to say, if none of you got it right, I was like, you are Welsh, right? <laughs> um, right. Anyway, so the controversy here, David predicted this was going to come up. So basically, there are technically two, so- uh, two songs for this film. Uh, this Thunderball track is the one that replaced Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. So well, I, I, I was like, that kind of sounds like Tom Jones, but I don't think that's what it is. Okay. But then, I can't remember which one Radiohead did, whether it was the one Billie Eilish did or the one before. But I'm sure because they're like Daniel Craig's favorite band, and he wanted them to do one of his themes. Yeah. So they did do. I I can't remember which one they did though. It was it was one of the more recent ones. It was for Spectre. Spectre. Okay. Yeah. Spectre. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't actually know about the Radiohead thing, but that would have been, I think that would have been cruel for me to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I should have specified at the beginning, these are all fil- uh, songs released for uh, their actual films. Anyway, this is number eight. immediate keyboard type in there on that one i'm so glad that there isn't a, a speed component to this game because i feel that that's what would make alid lose because he's also just adding commentary on all his answers <laughs> <laughs> okay uh steven what did you go for uh no time to die okay alid quantum of solace do you want to add the caveat and then i said and i like it the song okay uh, uh, Quantum of Solace, and I'll add it on now. I also quite like the song. It is, it is Quantum of Solace. I'm surprised, Stephen, that you think it's No Time to Die, given how rocky and upbeat the song is, and you know that Billie Eilish <laughs> did the theme. Yeah, but the, <laughs> like, the, start, like the start of the beat threw me, so I didn't like really like hear a voice. It's just like the, the beat kind of... Th- oh, I see. Uh, that was Alicia Keys humming. Yeah, so, so was it Alicia Keys and Jack White? Uh, Jack White. That's it, yes. Yeah. From the White Stripes. Amy Winehouse was meant to do it. Oh, uh, that would have been amazing, yeah. Well, that's a that's a big rip. Anyway, number nine. Classic Galvin and the Chipmunks in there with their Bond theme. There's a great irony to this one that I really respect. <laughs> I don't know if it's irony or if it's just fitting, but it's a sort of weird connection I think David would know that I would do. Okay, Niall. Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Alid? Octopussy. Stephen? Uh, Octopussy as well. So is it on Her Majesty's Secret Service? Is it Octopussy? It is All Time High by... uh, uh, I can't remember who it's by, but I that's why I steered the word high and felt it necessary to heighten the pitch. And now we come on to our final clip, and this is what I consider to be 
the hardest one. So don't know. <laughs> Are we ready? Uh, that's Phantom of the Opera, definitely. <laughs> it sounds like the battle scene from Gladiator. Or something. <laughs> Funny enough, when you give me an entire afternoon to edit Borden themes, sometimes I'll do really obscure things. <laughs> I think I know it's one of two. Okay. Okay, uh, again, we have a revised answer. If I'm honest, I think... Uh, actually, no, I can't, say, I can't say it. Actually, no, I'll say this, and I'll give people one chance if they want to revise their answer. I think it is technically the most iconic moment of any Bond theme ever. Ah. Uh, oh. That's completely thrown me. It's not this, but... Okay. So... Uh, Stephen, do you want to talk us through your answers? So my first answer was all of the Bond themes mashed in together. <laughs> and then I went, actually, Dr. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Niall? Um, I, I was trying to work out what was being said, so I guess Goldfinger. And Alid? I said, I said Goldfinger, but it sounds like the end of Thunderball, but we've already had that, so I'm confused. Mm. Okay. So is it... Let's do it in stages. Is it all of the Bond themes <laughs> merged together? <laughs> Craig didn't have that much of an afternoon. <laughs> is, it, is it Dr. No? That's Dr. No. <laughs> is it Goldfinger? Oh. David, do you have any ideas? That was my choice was Goldfinger because I thought there was a big so, again, crescendo to it. Again, you're thinking of the right singer. Is it Diamonds Are Forever then? If uh, I told you the word is forever, mm, that was the, the tune that was in of, my head. It's the forever and ever, but just reversed. And also, I did put the pitch down to make it gen, to make it gender amb uh, ambivalent. See, does she so, have a big sort of crescendo moment in Goldfinger as well? That's why I think I was thinking yeah, but of the it, two. It, it's. I don't think it's anywhere near as iconic as the uh, yeah. Diamonds Are Forever crescendo. Yeah, that's but anyway, that is the end. Uh, that is the end of this endgame. However, I'm going to give an opportunity for everyone to earn two bonus points. Basically, one of the ten themes that we played, not the clips, just the actual themes themselves, is is David's favourite Bond theme. If you can guess what that is, I will give you two bonus points. So this is a mixture of, can you remember which 10 themes were played and which one do you think David would like? Can we get at least like a like a hint or something? Oh, okay. It's like, what you don't know is I've secretly implemented this information into your life in the past few weeks. No. What <laughs> <laughs> am I answering? So I, I, think this is, I think this is probably uh, a fair hint, if you don't mind me giving one, David. Yeah, go for it. It's one of the themes... That doesn't share its name with its movie. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's. I put my guess in the chat. 
I, in that case, Stephen, I will allow you to rectify your guess because you said, and I quote, Dave looks like a Moonraker type of guy to me. <laughs> I don't know what that look is. but <laughs> One of my other favorites and Craig's didn't show up, if that helps. Yeah, my absolute favorite Bond theme was not in this game. Because the decision that David and I made was that we would not include themes from films we were actually discussing. So I was not able to do anything to uh, Chris Cornell's You Know My Name. But then David said, David said, and I quote, I don't want you to touch that song. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start with Stephen because I'm a a bit confused. Mm -hmm. What did you think his favorite theme was? License to Kill. Right. Did did that come up in this game? <laughs> I mean, I got many of the answers wrong. And I, can't remember what I, I said like. this would happen. Uh, Niall? Because he mentioned earlier saying about not going back in the films as much, I guessed Quantum of Solace, Another Way to Die. And then Alid? That was my guess, just because a couple of us said we liked it. And David said nothing. <laughs> I also I'm very, I'm very glad hours. you included the caveat of sus as fuck at the end of that. <laughs> so, David, would you like to reveal what your favourite Bond theme is? Well, I'll just say to Niall's thing is that it doesn't necessarily mean that I watched that film all the much. I might have just heard the song. So, uh, my favourite one is Nobody Does It Better. Ah, uh, uh, the spy who loved you. Shit. Mm-hmm. Is it better? That's also my favourite, but for some reason I convinced myself that that song is called The Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> she says it in the song. That's what I kind of appreciate about it. Is, that it's in the... is it? Is it bad that I like that song so much that for some reason I thought Dave wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> Did you think he looked like a Moonraker kind yeah. of guy? Yeah, he's a Moonraker guy. <laughs> that sounds like a horrible euphemism for something. <laughs> anyway. so some kind of slur. Get out of here, you Moonraker. I, I just, I, I just think the Nile is just so vain to, to think that. If you know your anyway. Carly Simon. <laughs> anyway, the final scores. In third place with two points, we have Stephen. In uh, second place with three, we have Nile. And with an incredibly impressive seven out of ten, hey. we have Alid. So Alid is the winner of this endgame. Hey. Very fitting for the person who was longest planned for this episode <laughs> it's true nobody does it better <laughs> yay he did it for england alan did it for england <laughs> wales wales i'm just i'm, I'm quoting i'm quoting Bond. I'm like, <laughs> yeah do it for yorkshire brackets northwards <laughs> okay so that is everything from me so let's hand back over to david uh yeah well thanks guys for joining us uh for a fun end game there and uh, a great discussion all about bond i think we really did cover a lot of uh, the areas and you know the the tropes uh, including the themes as we just did it's always one of my favorites to uh, hear what crazy meddling craig has done to uh, to music <laughs> some some classics of uh, of music history uh, butchered <laughs> by craig mcdonald so uh yeah thank you for joining us uh well done again to alid and yeah it was great to finally have this episode done uh and get to celebrate bond but obviously there's far more films to talk about in the future so we may revisit uh, the character once again uh we've enjoyed discussing uh, goldeneye going into the movie vault do let us know if you have any other suggestions for it in the future uh so we'll go over now to where we can catch you guys uh obviously nihilus signed too many ndas to uh 
disclose his location and uh, we don't want you catching him on film sets. But apart from that, Niall, uh, where can they see you ranking films on their horniness <laughs> and and when you'll be announcing your your casting announcement as the next Bond? Oh yeah, well thanks for revealing that, Dave. It's true, I will be the next James Bond. Yeah, you can catch me on Twitter if you like just reading the stupidest tweets you ever will now that Donnie's been kicked off the platform uh, at Niall the Glynn and you can also find me on Letterboxd under that same handle where I review films far too quickly after watching them <laughs> a lot of thoughts that I shouldn't have come out but it's all for the clout and it's and it's always I love seeing like when a new film comes out and I like click on my friends and it's all like four five four 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 two <laughs> like I was now. <laughs> I, I don't really I don't no, really you put don't rate actually we, yeah. we talked about that before actually I think but um it's always fun to see like loads of positives and I was just like yeah, I don't like this but <laughs> so, yeah this ruined my week yeah and then it's probably the other way around there people are like this is this is garbage this is horrendous and I was like I really love this <laughs> oh actually on on that note I should plug um. A, podcast the 250 uh it's not out yet sorry we recorded it but it's coming out in january a discussion of superman 4 the quest for peace uh a kind of notoriously bad film that i love so as dave said that's the other end of the spectrum isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah uh steve we, we catch yourself yeah so you can catch me over on twitter which is at unknown steve or on instagram at s jones list um and Currently, I'm doing some sustainability blogging. So if you ever want to check out that, head on over to Impora and, um, yeah, see what we're doing. Go check it out. Some important stuff uh, over on there. They, they talk about, like, sports gear and stuff as well, didn't they? Or you previously did. That would be, like, skiing when he's, like, jumping off the, the cliff and everything. Yeah, so what it is, when I was in London, I was uh, mainly at Impora, but then I sort of moved um, to a different part of the company just started sort of doing more about sustainability and eco-awareness and on some of the clothes that we stock and the business does and um yeah so i'm really enjoying it and um maybe i'll get cast as bond villain after this maybe that's what i should <laughs> yeah niall is uh bond and steve is uh, the villain uh alid where can we catch yourself and uh what what role will you be playing in the next bond film <laughs> oh boy uh i don't know i can make a pretty good cue yeah. who knows uh, yeah, so you'll catch me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz at Aled's Picture uh, for various array of opinions and photographs. So yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, yeah, well, you can catch this podcast as well uh, if you want to follow us on the socials. We're over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies. You can catch us over on our parent website, which is freshtakehub.com/slash Well Good Movies, where you can check out all of our episodes. Uh, talking about film histories and crazy film challenges that we have been given and uh, including uh, where we had recently our endgame uh, finale so that's now out craig uh, any sort of closing thoughts on that now that uh, maybe we'll reveal that you know if people haven't listened but another encouragement go listen to that one i was really hoping you'd ask me who i'd play in the next bond film uh Craig, who would you play in the next Bond film? <laughs> I'd be the Martini because after that entire experience of having to deal with you, I'm shaken, not stirred. <laughs> Did Steve write that for you? <laughs> I'm already writing stuff for the next series of Endgames. Um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to some of the things I'm going to put people through. Uh, like I said, we're going to try and expand it in future to allow 
uh, audience members to potentially come on uh, via an application process. I would check out the endgame finale because there are some fantastic moments throughout, as you'd expect. After all, the, the game we had tonight had some fantastic moments, so just imagine that, but an entire episode of those moments. Yeah, some fantastic uh, answers and reactions in that one. And uh, yeah, so go check out that. That's the Endgame special, the Champions Cut. Uh, we've got some more Christmas goodness on the way as well. Tell us about the next episode as well. So our next episode is going to be looking at, at films you can enjoy over the festive period, lovingly called Boxing Day films. So these are films that you associate with the Christmas period, but not actually Christmas films themselves. We have a variety of guests coming on to talk about talk about the types of films that they like to enjoy over Christmas that just make them feel good. Mainly, David wants to stop stop this trend of episodes of me watching things and not enjoying them. Can't believe you didn't like Van Helsing, guys. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, check that out when it's coming out. So uh, that'll be coming out after Christmas. So it's uh, perfectly timed for, you know, like just after Boxing Day to catch all those festive films, which aren't strictly Christmas films. And uh, yeah, as I said, go check us out on all the socials, catch our previous episodes. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you in the future. See you around. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. I still think that my version of this is better.